The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They're not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on the lab report, Dr. Kyle Gillette. We're finally going to talk about men's hormones. And not just the one that everyone thinks of. Which one is that? Football hormone? The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. So then you turn the car off, and the first thing it says on the screen is, remember to look for occupants in your so backseat. So weird. Why is it doing that? Yeah, it's interesting. Hello! Hi, Michael Chapman. How are you today? I'm great, Patty Devers. How are you today? Living my best life. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> well, this is a podcast. It's called The Lab Report, and it's brought to you by Genova Diagnostics. Thank you, Genova. Uh-huh. And uh, it's where we talk about some things like specialty lab testing, integrative therapeutics, and functional precision integrative and naturopathic medicine. Uh-huh. So much to talk about all the time. It's yeah. pretty great. Yeah. Never run out of content <laughs> until we do. Yeah. And but, if you're- oh, yeah. You go. No, you go. No, you go. Really? Yeah, you go. Okay. All right. No, you go. Well, if you're new to the show and you have not yet subscribed to the podcast, perhaps go to Apple, iTunes, or Spotify, subscribe, rate, review, leave us some stars. You know, I watch a lot of YouTube, and that's my least favorite part of every YouTube video I watch. So when it, they're it like, hit the me. subscribe it button. It pains me to guys, say this every guys, episode. If you like this, you got to hit that right. button. Crush it. I hate that I have to say that every episode, but alas. Subscribe. <laughs> okay, so back to the whole occupant in the backseat. Is there like a rash of of parents leaving their children in the car when they're getting out of the car? What's well, up with that? It certainly happens, but I have right. to be honest. That was not my immediate go-to thought. Like, it was my second thought right after the uh-huh. first one, which was like, you mean like occupants that are like jumped in the car and are hiding <laughs> in the back seat? Because that, like, like, look look behind you. It's frightening. <laughs> what if it just said that? It's so weird. Turn around. <laughs> or maybe, oops, you left grandma in the car again. Mm. Either way, it's just it's interesting that our machines are having to remind us of these totally, things. Totally, totally. Um, anyway, let's talk about what we're about to talk about. <laughs> we're about to talk to Dr. Kyle Gillette, who is a phenomenal speaker and teacher. He's been making his rounds. He's on all the big podcasts, all the big yeah. TV shows. I mean, the guy's just a wealth of information. So totally, knowledgeable. Totally, totally. Um, and he's got a very interesting practice, a very interesting approach. Uh, we're going to get into some of his overall like formula, his, his tenets mm-hmm. for how he addresses patient care. Um, and it's quite fascinating because it, it really covers a wide swath of uh, different concepts. So can't wait to talk to him. It's going to be a good interview. So without further ado. So, Patty, we have, uh, I'm sure you know Dr. Kyle Gillette. Oh, who doesn't know but Dr. Let Kyle me Gillette? Just, I know. I, this is protocol at this point. But Dr. <laughs> Kyle Gillette is the owner of Gillette Health, an interdisciplinary team approach to personalized health care in Aletha, Kansas. I got that right. Dr. Gillette is board cert- dual board certified in family medicine and obesity medicine. And Dr. Gillette received his medical degree from the University of Kansas and completed a residency, residency with Cox Family Medicine in Missouri. In addition to his private practice, Dr. Gillette is a well-known speaker and educator and has been featured on numerous national media platforms and podcasts. Including The Lab Report. And with that, welcome to the show, Dr. Gillette. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you guys for having me. It's, we're honored. We're honored. But you know, I find interesting about you is that in addition to being boarded in family medicine, you also specialize in obesity medicine, which over the past decade has grown in recognition as its own subspecialty. Tell us about your interest in obesity medicine and why you pursued that certification. I've always known since I've been uh, a teenager, really, that I wanted to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. And I watched my dad's medical practice and his holistic approach, uh, praying with patients, seeing them in the hospital, doing end-of-life care, and really thinking outside the box, digging more than usual mm -hmm. for an answer. And as I went through medicine, I've noticed that there's been certain trends. For example, there's been a trend, and it's, like, it's fantastic that they have this trend, but, uh, you know, in the last 10 to 20 years, there's been a trend for mental health and destigmatizing it. And there's also been a trend of destigmatizing uh, functional medicine. So basically, mm -hmm. when uh, if first line may or may not work, functional medicine is very similar to individualized medicine. You know, uh, not only getting at the cause, but thinking about the patient as a unique human mm -hmm. and not necessarily as an algorithm. Right. Um, and now there's kind of a, most recently there was a trend of destigmatizing sexual health for both men and women, mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, now there's kind of a trend on caring about the microbiome or mm -hmm. symbiote mm -hmm. and also, um, caring about colon cancer screening, which I know Genova does as well. Right. And, uh, also hormone health. So I found myself an inch deep and a mile wide, um, <laughs> doing a residency in family medicine. Right. And I thought that obesity medicine would be the best one to add on just because that's what the majority of the population tends to struggle with. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and under that sort of umbrella of obesity medicine, you know, it's interesting how we, we certainly understand causal associations or at least relationships between obesity and many you know, chronic clinical conditions. Um, and it's sort of like you kind of put insulin resistance under that bucket. You put metabolic dysfunction, fatty liver, like all these things kind of fall under obesity. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes, sometimes it, we don't even, we'll have insulin resistance without obesity and, and similar sort of things. So how do you kind of start to untether the relationships between, say, obesity and other chronic conditions, I guess? I know that's kind of a big question, but. Yeah, so there's a couple different uh, movements and I'll kind of, uh, sum that up as a microcosm of, uh, people's thoughts about health in general. For example, some people think they're healthy because they're not obese mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it is possible to technically be obese and be healthy as well. Perhaps not morbidly obese, but it's certainly possible to be healthy and obese, but, um, getting good objective data and listening to the patient's subjective data is extremely important. So if the patient is, uh, you know, nobody knows themselves better than themselves. Right. Uh, sometimes you can find a different angle, but that's the reason why a history and physical for each patient is so important. You can't just open up their chart and look at all their objective data and um, make a, a good decision. You synthesize, and that's where the practice of medicine comes in. You synthesize the objective data that the patient tells you and the objective data um, whether it's the main blocks of your objective testing, which is blood tests and standard tests, or whether it's the glue that fills in the cracks, like a lot of Genova tests, you synthesize the objective and the subjective together and come up with a good plan for a patient. 
Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot it. of sense. I love it. <clears throat> well, your practice philosophy at Gillette Health focuses on what you've described as the six pillars of health. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about, about those pillars and how you use them in your practice? The six pillars are diet and exercise. And I will admit that these two are possibly the most powerful, but it depends on the situation. Mm -hmm. Diet is highly individualized and it depends on your genetics, it depends on your history as well. And it depends on uh, how happy you are with it too. Mm -hmm. So I love working with dietitians and also nutritionists, but that's the first pillar. Exercise is a combination of anaerobic and aerobic exercise. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot that goes in with that. You also have the four S's. You have stress optimization, um, making sure that your stress is under control. Sleep. You also have sunlight, which is really just being outdoors, being in the elements. It includes heat and cold exposure. Right. And you have spirit. And this includes your spiritual health. It's not necessarily religious health, but it's just where are you on Maslow's hierarchy of needs as far as self-actualization? Sure. Thankfully, in in this country, in the United States and many developed countries, we just worry about that top of the pyramid mm. and that has a profound effect on health as many clinicians learn as they do end of life care. Wow. Yeah, right. You know, as you were describing those pillars, what came to me was in this time of the pandemic, how important some of those pillars that are often overlooked became mm. things like sunlight and spirit mm. and stress and those, those intangibles that are so meaningful and have such a big impact. But knowing about those six pillars, Although we know it depends because every patient is different. And that's an ongoing joke here at the lab report. In general, which of those do you feel can be the most impactful in helping your patient's overall health? I mean, you said diet and exercise, but if you had to pick one of those pillars, which one do you think is most impactful? Uh, <laughs> it's hard to pick one that is perfectly most impactful. If I had to pick, I would pick diet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's more of a situation where uh, it's kind of like, it's similar to hormone optimization. So health optimization and hormone optimization are very similar. If you're trying to get in a, into a sorority or a fraternity for that matter, mm -hmm. then you can be best friends with the president of the sorority and you can be best friends with everybody that's on their leadership council. Mm -hmm. But uh, if there is something else missing, so if one of the pillars is missing, mm -hmm then uh, obviously you're not going to get in and your health will suffer. So that's the way I look at it. Right. Yeah. So you can't really just pick one. It's kind of a blend of yeah, all no, of them. Yeah, they're all sort of interrelated yeah, to each other for as sure, well. For sure, so, for sure, for um, sure. Yeah. Well, you know, being an expert in, in so many different things as you are, um, but you, you seem to be kind of go-to educator in, like you were mentioning, the hormonal balance, both in women and men's uh, hormones. And so... You know, with men's hormonal health, I don't know, it's often overlooked and not addressed. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times, yep. mostly because I, I don't think males just like going to the doctor. But <laughs> what's your approach in yes. working up hormonal imbalance in males, whether it's physical exam, symptoms testing? Like, what's, what's your kind of go-to method? In the average male who wants to feel good and feel in general like a male, I like to get early testing with no symptoms. And I actually do for females as well. Mm but a good baseline to know what uh, kind of what hand they've been dealt. So when you're thinking about uh, automotive performance, as soon as that car comes off the line, you run a full diagnostic test, you hook up the computer and whatever is not optimal, you tweak and you continue to do so with regular checkups preventatively. And I do that with hormones for males as well. Um, if you're 
If you're after a certain goal, then you might want to be slightly more or slightly less aggressive. So if you have a family history of uh, things like osteoporosis or heart disease, then you're going to worry about different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, and so with that, like here in functional medicine, we talk about hormonal imbalance all the time, and we're always looking for that root cause. So we're always looking to optimize the microbiome, diet and exercise, all of those pillars that you described, Dr. Gillette. So knowing that, when do you reach for something like testosterone replacement therapy, or, or when would you not? What's your approach there? Like many things, it's a balance. My style is called shared decision-making, and I think that this is patient-centered and leads to good outcomes as well. It's a matter of approaching each patient at their level and then explaining the risks and benefits of a certain intervention. Mm -hmm. In general, if the risk and the benefits are about the same, you go with no intervention. Hmm. Um, So, you know, if there's a tie, (laughs) then it's uh, probably not time to add on a pharmaceutical medication or probably even a supplement. Mm -hmm. um, First do no harm. In that regard. Right. Um, But that is a lot of the conversation. Part of the conversation is also about uh, the sick role or um, the mental thought of, and a lot of men do struggle with this and they don't like to talk about it in the open. They feel like if they go on something to optimize their testosterone, even if it's a testosterone optimization supplement, let alone TRT, Mm -hmm. then they feel like something is wrong with them and they feel that they are sick. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And that has a, a cascade that leads to deleterious health outcomes. So I often talk about that as well. Um, mm. I also like to find the cause, like yeah. most clinicians do. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because you were mentioning sort of the de-stigmatization of uh, hormone, you know, addressing hormones, hormone replacement therapy, and it almost seemed like that happened with testosterone first. I mean, it was... Yeah. fascinating how quickly that became a well-accepted method of therapy. And so, you know, of all the hormone replacements almost, you see that so much more prevalent. And it makes me wonder, because we often talk about how, because it's so accepted, we honestly don't have a great gauge on, if you focus on diet, exercise, stress reduction, cortisol lowering, all those sort of things, like how close can you come to optimizing testosterone uh, while not giving testosterone? For many people, you can come close, but uh, a lot of times it just will not happen. Mm -hmm. The easier you can find a cause and address a cause, the easier it is in general to optimize your hormones naturally. Um, Like I said, you're trying to find what's blackballing you. You're trying to find what what it is that is mostly holding you back. So, uh, and it could be more than one thing. So some, some guy could come in with a, a vitamin D of five and mm-hmm. then they could fix, he could fix that and it could still be low. It's not because the uh, vitamin D is, is not helpful for testosterone optimization. Um, you could say this about any intervention. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, oftentimes you can address it, but sometimes you can't. A lot of it is patience. The, and part of the, you know, there's good and bad with ever with, Everything. Mm-hmm. Part of the drawback of all this destigmatization is there's lots of hormone clinics, but you can't really be a testosterone or a TRT expert. You have to be a prostate expert. You have to be a right. hematology. You have to be well adept in hematology. You have to be well adept in cardiology. Mm-hmm. You have to be well adept 
in your microbiome and uh, even in mental health, monoamine ox, mal enzymes, mm. um, which testosterone affect as well. Mm. So um, it's difficult to be an expert in just that. Mm-hmm. Right. And many men don't get the opportunity. It's almost like uh, when you're delivering a baby, every, everyone deserves a trial of labor before C-section. Right. Mm. Right. And uh, I, I still practice obstetrics as well. Just like every woman doesn't want to go straight to a C-section, every man doesn't want to go straight to TRT, mm-hmm. but often their provider just doesn't give them the chance because they see, um, in general, they see a private clinic and obviously there's exceptions, but they get cookie cutter plans. Even if they don't need mm-hmm. an aromatase inhibitor, they get one. Right. Right. And then they go to their regular doctor that's affiliated with the big hospital system because wow. dare I say that's it's one or the other. There's not very much in between. <laughs> yeah. And right. um, then maybe they have a they have three different fasting AM testosterones, and one of them their total is 265. So they're somehow not a candidate, mm. um, despite trying everything else. So there's got to be a happy medium and a balance with everything. Yeah. I didn't go into medicine wanting to necessarily be a hormone expert, but I wanted to be a hormone expert in order to take care of better patients providing medicine to optimize health in general. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you talked about the stigma of hormone replacement, Michael, and how testosterone sort of broke through. And then Mm -hmm. earlier, Dr. Gillette talked about the stigma of sexual health and, you know, the discussion of this. And so if, if a patient comes in, if a male patient comes in with sexual complaints and they want testosterone replacement, is there a, a place where you say no? Like when would you not reach for TRT? If their testosterone can be optimized naturally, um, mm-hmm. a lot of times uh, I would say no. Yeah. Um, conversely, if this individual patient is going to react to testosterone so poorly, for example, perhaps uh, this individual has already had several stents mm. and um, they get significant polycythemia every time and they have extremely high aromatase activity, um, know, maybe the patient is on ECMO. So Mm -hmm. uh, there's definitely places and times where TRT is quite strictly contraindicated. Um, But a lot of times those contraindications are relative and you can talk to the patient about the risks and the benefits. Yeah. 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 Well, and another thing too, I mean, correct me if my, my, my thinking is misguided on this, but I think a lot of times clinicians often just hear sexual complaints from males and think and reach for TRT when it's not always even related to testosterone levels. You know, there's so many different things that can cause ED and sexual dysfunction. So, you know, that's, that's another area. It's like, well, what's really, like you were saying before, what's really causing this? Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I feel like I can speak for most clinicians who see a lot of men with those complaints looking for TRT and several of them have uh, very high natural total and free testosterones mm-hmm. despite yeah. having those complaints. Right. Right. They're, they're shocked when they get their labs back because they, they've never had labs before. Right. right, right. And it always comes back to those pillars, right? The other things like stress and, and diet and exercise. Yeah, right? and then you have to dig deeper and the guy's like, oh, I don't want to worry about <laughs> Just give me it. stress, right. whatever. Um, <laughs> so talk a little bit, you mentioned it before, but aromatase inhibitors and its relationship with testosterone for those who are maybe not as uh, savvy on the topic. Yeah, so uh, a typical cookie cutter protocol is testosterone, maybe even compounded with anastrozole or aromasin. So aromatase inhibitors that are classically used in 
cases of breast cancer to prevent reoccurrence. And it inhibits the conversion of testosterone to estradiol, which is the second estrogen. Um, part of this is because some men are prone to or rightly, rightfully worried about gynecomastia or the overgrowth of glandular breast tissue in a male. Mm -hmm. And also because estrogen has been linked with other things. For example, estrogen's action on the liver increases both platelets and SHBG. And mm -hmm. those two things are mildly linked or correlated mm -hmm. with risk of deep venous thrombosis and VTE in general, mm -hmm. blood clots. Right. So there is some worry about um, too much estrogen. Also, it can cause fluid retention and bloating. Um, a really high estrogen, especially a high estrogen to free T, can cause one sort of ED. And then really low estrogen can cause a different type of ED. Oh, okay. So um, the, the caveat here is a lot of times it's just kind of done differently. So the usual way that people do it is Saturday morning, you go in, you get your shot of testosterone, plus or minus an astrazole. Friday night, uh, it's cocktail hour. You've had a few beverages with the friends. And then Saturday, you watch the game, have a few more. And then you go to the buffet and that's kind of like your refeed meal or your cheat meal, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> right. And all of those things, high calories, high fat, alcohol, one large dose of testosterone at the same time, that's going to greatly upregulate aromatase. Mm. So if they changed the protocol and avoided uh, administration of their TRT, if they cut it up into more um, dosages so that you're not having a peak in a trough, it attenuates the risk, and a lot of times you don't even need to use an aromatase inhibitor. Yeah. Awesome. awesome. Well, and, and also, you know, combining that with if on, there is obesity, right? Oh, so right. much of aromatization occurs in, in adipose, fat cells, yeah. adipose tissue. So yeah. it would be a huge one. Um, true, true. Another thing that's we're seeing more and more, especially in the BHRT community, the anti-aging community, is testosterone therapy in females. Um, so can you speak to... Uh, the sort of the applications of testosterone uh, in females from that perspective? Many females have a huge uptick in the quality of their life if they have very low testosterone and then they have appropriate replacement. Mm -hmm. Many females, um, uh, many, many females also have been given too much testosterone. Yeah. There's something called virilization, which is basically the development of male-associated secondary sexual characteristics. And if you have a risk factor for this, and there's many, low SHBG, so you don't have much protein to bind up the testosterone or androgen when it comes in. Mm -hmm. Or if you have uh, androgen sensitivity, which is usually related to your androgen receptor genes, you have two of them on your X chromosome if you're a female. And uh, there's a CAG repeat, kind of like Huntington's disease has a CAG trinucleotide repeat your androgen receptor gene also has a CAG trinucleotide repeat. Hmm. And this very closely predicts uh, how you will tolerate androgens, whether it's hirsutism, growing hair in places where you don't want it, or if it's uh, male pattern baldness in a female or any other uh, voice changes, et cetera, et cetera. You can go all the way down the list. But if you accurately assess this before starting testosterone in women, then you're more likely to not cause virilization and you're able to alleviate symptoms. Not all women need testosterone, of course, but it should be something that is considered. The other thing to consider is testosterone in women also aromatizes to some degree. Mm -hmm. So you should also, that's the peripheral estrogen. 
um, you should also consider that. And then of course, um, since we love talking about microbiomes as well, not, not all TRT clinics do it. It's always important to consider the intrahepatic recycling of estrogen, which is related to um, bacteria and uh, certain bacteria strains can upregulate estrogen recycling and some do not. So there's a lot of things, it's kind of a moving target over mm -hmm. time to dial in. That's why a longitudinal relationship, talking about the benefits and risk of adding testosterone or even DHEA, which is a weak androgen, the pawn on the chessboard, if you will, is important to discuss. When, when you have your patients on any type of hormone replacement or are trying to optimize their hormone balance, how often are you reaching for a microbiome test or a stool test to take a look at what's going on with the GI tract? Quite often, uh, I have a, like probably anybody listening to this, I have a very, very low threshold to do celiac testing. Mm. I also have a very low threshold for doing uh, gut microbiome testing in general. Mm -hmm. Whether, uh, it, you know, regardless of what I'm looking for, I don't, I'm not in the camp that I think everybody needs it. Um, and part of that's just because I do individualized medicine. Mm -hmm. um, I understand why some people offer services where literally everybody gets a gut microbiome test, um, maybe a, you know, a GI clinic. But um, yeah, I, I, I utilize tests like that quite often. Yeah, yeah. Nice, yeah. Nice, we nice. speak to a lot of clinicians when we're looking at our GI effects and, and we hyper-focus on beta-glucuronidase for that reason because it's yeah. one of those things that most people don't even think about, that intrahepatic recirculation. Well, and then the amount that it tends to correlate symptomatically with estrogen dominance mm -hmm. is like even right. when I started started here, I was like, well, I mean, I understand it from a mechanism perspective, but does it, is it real? And then, yeah, <laughs> yeah. like it really seems to correlate mm -hmm. quite closely. So that's anecdotal, yeah. but it's, it's just fascinating. I was just discussing this with one of my dietitian colleagues the other day, um, and it, it's kind of odd because if you think of a women's health probiotic, you want to acidify mucosa. Sometimes in layman's terms, I explain the microbiome niches. Your gut is kind of like the cave system. Hmm. Your mucosal membranes, whether it's oral pharyngeal or down there, et cetera, et cetera, is kind of like the the uh, marshes or the swamp right mm -hmm. outside the caves. Yeah. And then the rest of your skin is the, the great plains where you have hair is the forest. So <laughs> right. you obviously have crosstalk between them, right. but a lot of the, any probiotic with pink is going to have a lot of lactobacillus and bifidobacterium because they tend to acidify. Mm -hmm. And there seems to be conflicting evidence on whether it helps with beta-glucuronidase or increases it. So, mm -hmm. um, it's hard to say if we're causing worsened hyperestrogenism or estrogen dominance with high CFUs of bifidobacterium or lactobacillus. Um, measuring it over time, I guess, is the best way to tell, and mm -hmm. also getting a baseline to see what things are at. And when it comes to stool testing in general, I get this question literally all the time. It's like, uh, how do you assess when to do a stool test in a patient? because it is a moving target. Right. So, um, you know, if you have, let, let's think of a, a good patient. They have the exact same diet, extremely regimented. They haven't been traveling. They haven't done any um, like random trips to Cancun mm -hmm. recently. Right. <laughs> so uh, they have been doing the exact same thing, eating the same thing, exercising the same way and having um, steady, like whether it's chronic diarrhea or constipation or normal or in between, wherever mm -hmm. they are on the, are on the chart, 
it's been very regular, then that's a great candidate. Um, and then the opposite would be not a great candidate. I know that you can order like uh, three different tests. Some people just do it if they're concerned for parasites. Mm -hmm. um, eventually, maybe it's like epigenetic testing. Epigenetic testing is kind of the same way, but cholesterol testing is the same way as well. So if you don't have a patient fast or eat the same amount of fat, you know, if they know they have high triglycerides and they know they get a bonus for having trigs under 149, <laughs> then they can always just like literally for two days, they can just eat super, super low fat. Right. And that's not gonna be an accurate representation of their lipid profile either. So it's the same thing in traditional medicine. Well, yeah. let, me, let me hit one other aspect of hormonal balance. What nutrients are you most concerned about when you're trying to balance not only male hormones, but female hormones in general? Certainly concerned about zinc and selenium in both males and females, not only for the prostate and the testes, but also for the thyroid. Um, having a high nutrient density and a adequate, whether it's low or medium caloric density is important for each person. So in individuals of older ages, micronutrients that tend to get depleted intracellularly are more important. So zinc, magnesium, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And individuals with younger ages, nutrients that are associated with improved athletic performance, especially if they're not an enhanced athlete, which is a whole other discussion. Right. Okay. Um, those are particularly important. So for example, vitamin D, I believe it was Thor, the world's strongest man that famously had an extremely low vitamin D, mm. um, probably just bad luck living in Iceland. <laughs> um, they don't even make vitamin D there, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, I think he just literally had zero. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's great yeah. well where can um, patients go and sign up and work with you and your team where can they find more info all that good stuff um, Instagram is kind of my hub my handle cool. is Kyle Gillette MD uh, Gillette without an E also GilletteHealth.com is another good place and I did just start a YouTube channel as well Yay. so I plan to post a few podcasts and such on YouTube awesome. so hopefully that goes Yay. well but awesome. I, I would love anybody to come check me out. Oh, awesome. we're totally going to be checking this out. Oh, yeah. Dr. Kyle Gillette, as per usual, amazing content, good information for our clinicians, really practical information. But before we let you go, we do have one last question that I'm going to kick to Michael Chapman. Oh, yeah, this is called the fireball. It's a goofball question fireball. that relates to nothing we were just talking about. And my question for you, sir, is <laughs> what is the best musical instrument? Uh, does the voice count? Yes. Yes. Yeah, the voice is the best musical. Uh, and way to think outside the box that, on that I know. one. That was awesome. I think that says everything you need to know about Kyle yeah. Gillette. <laughs> Do you sing? Thanks. Do you sing? Um, I, I like to. I am, I'm not particularly gifted when it comes to the voice, but I love singing. Uh, I do karaoke from time yes! to time. Yes! <laughs> What's your signature song? Uh, it kind of depends on the mood that I'm in. But uh, if, if I'm feeling particularly... <laughs> Upbeat, then I will do Poker Face. From no! Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> nice. money right there. We've got to get that on the YouTube. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's going on YouTube. Maybe someday. <laughs> well, Dr. Gillette, thank you so much for your time. We're going to encourage everyone to go to GilletteHealth.com. Check them out on Instagram and YouTube. And again, thank you so much, Dr. Gillette. Thank you, guys. My pleasure. Yeah, that was really interesting. Um, the, the whole pillars 
that he's using, mm. um, I find particularly interesting. I mean, s- to put sunshine in there, and granted, he's kind of talking about all your environmental exposures and stuff. But um, yeah, sunshine is making a comeback. You know what I mean? <laughs> it certainly is the importance of vitamin D. But the other pillar I thought was interesting was spirit. Yeah, it's just an interesting way to frame that part of human humanity. Oh, it's so critical. It's right, so critical, right. right? Like because basically. Got to have purpose, you That's know. Right. So whenever we talk about motivation and, and things like that, it all comes down to that. So, yeah, uh, good on Dr. Gillette for for including all of those things. I love it. And finally, mm. we hit the topic of men's hormones. And but it's clear to me that Dr. Gillette could basically talk about any topic mm-hmm. we wanted to throw at him. Yeah, yeah. We probably could have done ten more fireballs. <laughs> we we probably could have sang Poker Face. So the thing about Poker Face Go was ahead. when I was in a band back yeah. in my youth uh-huh. um, with the green mohawk. Yeah, we actually did a what was called a diva medley where we uh-huh. covered several different songs, okay. um, tied them all together, strung them all together. So we did uh, "Hit Me, Baby." Oh, of course. Uh, we did uh, uh, "Poker Face" was part of it. Mm-hmm. We did "I Kissed a Girl," mm-hmm. and um, then Christina Aguilera's "Beautiful," of course, was how it started. <sighs> so, well, see, that's the thing. It starts slow with "Beautiful," Boring. and then it punches you in the face with "Hit Me, Baby," one Listen. more time. Pop, 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 poker face, pop, pop, poker face. That's a tough song ma, to ma, sing, ma, by the ma. way. That's a tough awesome song to sing. Awesome tune. I dare you to sing it driving home from work. I'll do it right. I'll do it today. Make sure to record it. I will. Next time on The Lab Report, we're going to do a detailed critique of Patty's poker face video. <laughs> it's fair. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. So that crazy thing in the car came up when you and I got out of the car to go into In-N-Out Burger. That's right. We went we, to In-N-Out Burger. So yeah. I assume On the way to the metabolic conference, we yes. went to In-N-Out Burger. But you've never had it. <laughs> no, so that's what I'm saying. So you have to have it. I now will forever associate when that comes up, that prompting from a car to the In-N-Out Burger, which was awesome. Because you're right. I had never had it before. Yeah. Well, did you like it? Well, I'm an East Coast girl. So yeah. So it was the first time I ever had it. It was quite good. But I think it's because you made me animalize it. Yeah. Animal style. They have all this like secret menu stuff. You can uh-huh. actually do like animal fries, too. Yeah. Um, you can do roadkill fries. What? There's all these like hacks for the menu that people there's a Scooby snack. There's oh, cool. Um, you can do protein style, which is like a lettuce instead of a bun, that sort of thing. Uh, <laughs> or there's a four by four, which is literally <laughs> four patties. It's crazy. You know what this means? We got to go back to California. No doubt.